Hi, and welcome to Super Anti-Aging Podcast. This is Steve Alpern. I named this podcast Super Anti-Aging, but it could be called Optimal Wellness, Optimal Health, Holistic Health. Because that's the purpose. The purpose is how do you experience wellness? And unfortunately, this has gotten lost in the, in this crisis, understandably. And maybe when this crisis passes, many people have not looked at wellness well. People who never bought supplements before, <laughs> maybe because of social media and they're reading the web, are buying the herbs and the vitamins. Great. I think it's wonderful. But I said before, there's no huge clinical trials going on on nutraceuticals. And that's unfortunate. Even though many drugs are derived from natural compounds, but that's not the system we have. It's not the pharmaceutical system we have, and I'm not anti-pharmaceutical, and I'm not anti-orthodox medicine. I just wish we could all get this together. You know, the history of... People take supplements. Where'd they come from? Well, it goes way, way back to the discovery that there could be... There was, or there could be, a connection between diet and disease. Scurvy, vitamin C deficiency... Sailors would die, and it was horrible disease, scurvy. And it was found to be vitamin C, lack of fresh fruit. And with the discovery of how to chemically make vitamin C, more research could be done on what other benefits could come. And the same thing happened with the various B vitamins. We had beriberi, a B vitamin deficiency, and scurvy, and, and pellagra, another horrible nutrition, disease. But with the onset of World War II and the discovery of penicillin, all the research went into antibiotics and no one was particularly interested in studying nutrients and their effect on health. And so for decades, almost till the present, nutritional science was given (laughs) lip service. Medical schools do not really teach nutritional science. And yet, we've known that they're nutritional diseases. Well, there's no big research going on. The field is not going to grow. And it's been left to maverick scientists and maybe nutritional vitamin companies who want to sponsor research and every once in a while there's a grant but no big push why? because it's not patentable you can't patent as a drug a natural compound so that can happen well I think a lot of people now who never thought about taking a vitamin, vitamin C or vitamin D because of social media, 
the web are starting to pay attention and take an interest, which I think is a good thing. The problem is sorting this whole field out so it becomes scientific. Well, what's happened now, it's became basically anecdotal. Okay. Now I took this and I got this. I took this and I got this. I took this and I got this. I think there's some value. But it's never going to become part of mainstream medicine in this way. And it should. And my hope and dream is that integrated medicine becomes mainstream medicine. And there's some courageous doctors now who are, because of lack of protocols, are experimenting within the system. You have to be careful experimenting with the system and some hospitals are giving intravenous vitamin C, which I think is wonderful. <laughs> I don't think there's a hospital in the, in the country or in the world who's giving intravenous glutathione or alpha-lipoic acid, antioxidants. And if you look through, as I do, all the basic sciences, you understand that this is, at its core, an oxidative condition, oxidative stress condition. Now, I'm not saying that's the whole answer to everything, but it's a big piece. And every single cell in the body needs to protect itself from oxidative stress, which is beneficial. You need oxidative stress. You need oxidative stress for your immune system to work. You need oxidative stress for communication. But uncontrolled oxidative stress is the monkey wrench in the cell. And then you go a little further into the mitochondria, those cell batteries which are affected by oxidative stress. So when you look at this condition, this horrible condition, and how it shows up in different systems in the body, well, you have to think backwards. And well, if it's, a, if it's the liver or the brain or the kidney, well, it's made up of, obviously it's made up of tissue and it's made up of cells. So then you go back down to the cell. And if that cell system is deficient and not optimized or lacking protective antioxidants like glutathione and catalase and superoxide protecting nutrients because those are so-called free radicals that are part of the oxidative stress process you know uh, uh, the peroxide radical the SOD radical you know, nitric oxide radical oh that's good nutrition science. So, I'm not going to go through the, the dance of, you know, that people are reading every day and hearing every day. I think working on really being healthy. And that's, you know, you hear these different newscasts and, and different <laughs> blogs and they give, oh, just... Stay healthy. Well, what does that mean? What does that really mean? Well, from my viewpoint, it means taking a survey. What is my weak spots? And addressing those 
through nutrients and diet management, what are my weak places? Because that's what seems to be happening. The virus seems to be exploiting those weak areas of the body. You know, it really, in a sense, is an opportunistic virus. And so I can list nutrients and make suggestions, but again, it depends on the, on the person. We all have what's called biochemical individuality. We respond differently. We have different gene systems make us who we are, but they can also affect our nutritional biochemistry as well as our immune system. So taking from what we do know in nutritional science, I make some valuable, what I consider some valuable science-based suggestions. None of these are considered a, a treatment or a cure. You know? I think people who do this exploit misinformation. But again, what I'm going to say is based on at least the science studies that I've uh, come across. Vitamin C, yes, but I don't think that's the real answer. I think it's valuable. You don't want to be vitamin C deficient. Why certain people even eating a vitamin C-rich diet might be deficient, we don't really know yet. Okay, You can only absorb a certain amount of vitamin C, and there were some studies on colds and vitamin C, less than the instance of vitamin C. The problem is that it's difficult to raise systemic vitamin C levels. You know, almost all animals <clears throat> make vitamin C. So when they have an infection or a stressor, they'll make lots and lots of vitamin C. Humans lost that ability. So we don't make vitamin C. So unfortunately, just taking it is not going to give us the same effect that would happen in an animal who would make thousands and thousands of milligrams of vitamin C as a protection. And it might be why when we do these science studies on infections in animals, it doesn't always come out the way we expect when we try and translate it to humans because these animals would make vitamin C. Okay. Rat makes vitamin C. A mouse makes vitamin C. A dog makes vitamin C. So I think taking 500, maybe 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C is valuable. I recommend and have tried myself liposomal vitamin C. I think that has some benefit to raising some vitamin C levels. Um, if you can't get it, if you can't get liposomal vitamin C, Regular vitamin C is fine. Okay, I think that if you feel that you're um, at risk, I would try and locate some liposomal vitamin C, hopefully made by a reputable company. Next on my list, of course, is vitamin D. Everyone's talking about vitamin D now. All the holistic practitioners talking about vitamin D. And the basic premise seems to be anywhere from 5,000 to, I'm sorry, 5,000 to 10,000 units of vitamin C daily, I think, for most people. And certainly I've seen this with 
doctorless practice, um, not particularly overdosed and had, you know, terrible negative effects at this level of vitamin D. I think the consumption of polyphenols from food, little green tea, lots of berries, blueberry, blackberry, raspberry, elderberry, which seems to have some interesting research behind it, um, antiviral research. I think it's a great idea. Glutathione, the central protective antioxidant. Thousands and thousands of studies over decades and decades on glutathione. Glutathione is absorbed orally. Uh, Dr. Ritchie, the world expert on glutathione and the absorption of glutathione, had a clinical trial and it was shown you can raise glutathione by taking glutathione. Now it's all over the web. I think it's a great idea. Uh, dose depends on the person. I think anywhere from 500 up to 3,000 is a good dose. You know, I haven't really seen any negative effects. Uh, what would happen on glutathione is if you break it down, it gets broken down to building blocks and you rebuild more glutathione. The building blocks go into the cell and you rebuild more glutathione. How do you increase glutathione, oral glutathione? I recommend uh, talking herbals. Glutathione, it's a powdered glutathione. You can put in a little bit of water and you can rinse with it and swallow it. And you can adjust the dose. It's very economical. Um, you can do a search on the web and you'll find the Fazomo glutathione. I think that's also valuable. Um, possibly doing both. My concern is that you just get the glutathione. That's so important. And as I said, I haven't had a whole lot of uh, clinical experience with the Pazoma. If you want to try it, that's fine. I've had a lot of experience with the powdered oral glutathione, the cetria glutathione. It works really, really well. Another very interesting nutrient is glycine, G-L-Y-C-I-N-E. Really amazing amino acid. Inexpensive, helps make glutathione, which is glutamine, glycine, and cysteine. The limiting amino acid seems to be the glycine. Glycine also has a balancing effect on the system and very good for sleep. People have had problems, especially now, getting to sleep. A couple of grams of glycine is extremely valuable. So let me rehash. We talked about DC glutathione quercetin. Quercetin is a flavonoid found in different foods. Problem is absorption. And that's a big issue with nutrients. Will they be absorbed? And so there's a form of quercetin. Most quercetin has a very, very poor absorption rate. And therefore, you really need to find a dehydroquercetin or the physomal quercetin. Something that's going to be really absorbed, I recommend and use um, the Life Extension 
biocrescetin. It's a very, very potent form of quercetin. And uh, in contact talking herbals. And at uh, talking herbals at AOL.com. And they have the biocrescetin. Quercetin is great. I think it's a great nutrient. It's an antihistamine. And it seems to have some antiviral effects. Resveratrol. Well, resveratrol got a lot of press. It's the compound found in red wine and grapes. And David Sinclair, the big proponent, talks about it's an anti-aging, turning on anti-aging genes and anti-aging systems. I think it's a great nutrient. Possibly absorption issues. If you do take a supplement, it needs to be transresveratrol, transresveratrol. And it helps if it has a grape seed in it to support it. Dose can be anywhere from 200 to 500. And David Sinclair even goes up to 1,000 for his father who has diabetic issues. You can eat grapes. Wine, you just need a lot of wine to get enough active resveratrol. So I like resveratrol. I like ginger, anti-inflammatory, very, very important anti-inflammatory. Either in your food, make your own ginger ale, take a ginger supplement if you want. I think that's extremely beneficial. They compare ginger to ibuprofen, and it worked in some ways better without the negative effects of the anti-inflammatory out of um, denied steroidal anti-inflammatory. There's some research, and this is on a side note now that I'm thinking of anti-inflammatory and the question about aspirin. <laughs> and aspirin, interestingly enough, if you go through the research, aspirin does have some antiviral properties and maybe taking at the onset might be beneficial especially now that we're talking about blood clots and people getting blood clots and they're talking about, you know, hemparin. And the problem is when they put people on blood thinners, there seems to be even more dire results. So we just don't know with the blood. They don't really know why and how. Well, oxidative stress increases the risk of blood clots. Maybe the addition prophylactically, if aspirin doesn't bother you, of uh, baby aspirin to avoid the blood clots might be an interesting way to go. And certainly uh, the omega-3 fish oils, another good way to go um, as part of an anti-inflammatory program. And again, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of beneficial uh, nutrient compounds <clears throat> that I can talk about. You know, the mushrooms, very, very beneficial. And angiographics, and uh, the list can go on and on and on and on. But again, the practicality of getting a program together that's individual is an issue. And so, I think you just, we need to have people start to take responsibility for their health when this quiets down. So I hope I've given you some valuable information. Feel free to email me at uh, 
Stephen Nutrition, stephennutrition at gmail.com. Uh, I'm working on a counseling website, which hopefully will be up very soon. And please share this podcast. Um, I think it has some valuable information, and I want to really thank you for listening.